Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how are we today, my man? Doing really good, man. We made it through spooky season. Still alive. I watched Halloween Kills, which sucked. but um, <laughs> So I've heard. So I, I, had to, I had to watch Dune again in the same night to make up for it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I've, I've heard that it's not particularly great, so... Um... Yeah, I, whatever. I didn't like I, it's since since the, that particular franchise isn't that important to me. It mm-hmm. like it'll probably be one that I won't ever see. At least I shouldn't say ever. Probably will be one that I won't see for years. Yeah, no, I understand, dude. Like I I was going to go to the theater to see it. Like me being a fan of the franchise, and I saw Bond and I saw Dune like in three weeks of each other in the theater. I so I what I did was I bought Peacock for a month to um you know just to get access to the movie and everything. Sorry about that, folks. We had uh, technical difficulty because I had the audacity to move my microphone slightly, um, thus resulting in a, a cascade of uh, dumb, dumb connected events. But I I totally cut off Chama like in the middle of him explaining something about Halloween Kills, how it wasn't that great, how I'm not going to see it. Chama, just go ahead and pick up where he left off there. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I was like I said, I saw um, Dune and Bond um, in the theater twice within the last like three weeks or so. So I bought it on Peacock. And let me tell you something. Uh, this is one streaming service that I think would be OK if the world was without. Um, there's really not much on there except for NBC stuff. And even like um, AP Bio, which is like, oh, AP Bio has got another show on there. I remembered enjoying that show. I like Len Howerton. This is like when they move community to Yahoo TV. It's just not the same. So like I personally feel that Peacock, um, anybody who out there that is maybe considering buying a premium subscription, just don't <laughs> like it's cool. Maybe just go with the free version. And even then, if it, it takes up space on your phone, you could delete it if you want to put something else on there. Yeah, it, the, like their whole draw is like, well, we have the office and it's like, great. But to watch it, you have to pay for like a tear up. So, right, exactly. like, what's the, like, what is, I don't know, like, yeah, it, it's a stupid fucking service, and if you already have, if you're already paying for something, like, I'm pretty sure NBC has shows on Hulu, correct? They do, yes. So, it's not, like, an expansive catalog, but there right. is stuff of theirs that winds up on Hulu. Like, there are other ways to view NBC shows. Yeah, exactly. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I gotta tell you, like, I... I kind of hope that this Halloween kills thing with Peacock, maybe let it be a one-time thing because I just, it still makes, I understand it's maybe like a marketing thing or whatever, but like, I just don't see a lot of people um, being so thrilled about Halloween kills that they decide to keep their Peacock description. Like, Oh my God, I want more stuff exactly like this. Like, I just don't see that. No, it's not, it's not like buying a Disney plus. Um, Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you're not getting that out of it. So, um yeah anyway <laughs> peacock yeah what a terror like and yeah. it's funny because like they have like a slate of originals and they all just look bad yeah just There's, for varying I... varying reasons like they look bad like they look they literally visually look bad or mm-hmm. they just are stuff that's like very uninteresting yeah dude like ap bio looked very very bad in terms of production quality especially from when it was on like regular nbc two completely different worlds 
And uh, just in general, like it wasn't all that good. Like everybody's like phoning it in. The writing has jumped from like they went from in terms of like arrest, arrested development. They went from like arrested development season one to like arrested development like season four. You know, like mm-hmm. in in like one season and stuff. So it's a lot of inside jokes. The characters are unnecessarily wacky, and I only made it through fifteen minutes of one episode of that. All right, so don't buy Peacock is the is the lesson here. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, dude, I, I'm happy I made it through, uh, like, all but two of the movies I wanted to see through Spooky Season. Or, sorry, Fright Fest was done with the Spooky Season thing. Um, I didn't get around to see Human Centipede because, go figure, that's not on any streaming services. And then um, Lamb, actually. I Like, there was theater times were so limited out here, but the good news is, is that they made it available for rent, so I'm going to check that out as soon as possible. Mm, okay, that's good. All right. But anyway, we are not yeah. here to talk about yeah. uh, We're Done with Fright Fest. Um, there is, I, I do have like a a thing about Fright Fest, but I, I'll, I'm going to keep it until uh, we get to our year in review, which is cool. actually not that far away. Um, so I just, I was kind of thinking about that. Uh, it's not that far away. But um, so when we get to the year in review, I, I do have something like an extended thing on Fright Fest. But we are here to talk some sports. Um November is normally our sports month, like where we do an entire, obviously we, we would do sports movies, uh, TV shows, whatever, and obviously just generally talking about sports. Um, but, uh, you know, we've had like a, we've had a, a, a lot of sports episodes in the past year. And I know a big part of that was like pandemic related. Like there, for a while there, there was nothing going on. So like, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do? Like watch the sports that are playing. Um, we've had like just some interesting things happening in the last like calendar year in sports. So like, we've had a few more sports episodes than normal. So we're not going to go this whole month is going to be dedicated to sports, but we are going to be doing a sports episode for you today. Um, so let's start this off with a little lightning round, Chema. Uh, what non-American sporting event would you like to attend once in your life? Okay, dude, I'm hoping that I actually get to do this. Um, I want to check out this Japan series, the Japanese championship series for baseball. I've seen footage of Japan style baseball for a majority of my entire life. These games look like a goddamn party, dude. Like this looks like how baseball like should be and stuff, you know, like when you see games in certain stadiums and I'll even say even in Dodger stadium, you know, like people, they look like they're having, I guess, some kind of version of what you might call fun. But at these games, it just looks like an all out goddamn riot and stuff. And so, like, I did a little bit of research on, like, the series. It takes place, like, right around the time that, the, like, our World Series does in the end of October, November. And um, just the same thing. It's a best of four. And, you know, I know that uh, be at one point four. in time. Or, sorry, best of seven. There you go. You have to win four. <laughs> yep. There we go. Yes. The 2-3-2 the two, two format. And, like, um, I personally know that because um, Jess is going to Coachella with me next year, I'm probably going to have to go to uh, Japan at some point in time. So why not try to check out one of these games? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, baseball everywhere else in the world looks like they're having more fun than all, all of our all of us sitting in, in the stadiums watching baseball. The Caribbean, yeah. there's, like, music playing and, like, bands playing on the dugouts and stuff. Um, in the, in the KBO, it's Korean baseball organization. Like it's sort of like, if you're the power hitter, it's kind of like a point of pride for like how big of a bat flip you can make. So like when you, Mm -hmm. like when those guys hit home runs, they fucking launch the bat like 20, 30 feet in the air. Um, Japan is just like Japan and, um, you know, Japan obviously is, you know, probably not probably Japan is like the next most like polished country in terms of, in terms of its baseball. They've been playing baseball as long as we have. Um, 
and like their professional leagues are really great, but like even then they're still more um they're still more animated. Like they have team chants and stuff. It's it's just everywhere else in the world it looks like it's just much more fun. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, there's like there's something about like watching a World Series game where everybody's supposed to be into it. And you watch like what is probably just like game number thirty over there from in the Japan League, and like it just looks like a it looks like seriously like a fucking riot and stuff. Like I mean, just people are really really into it and everything. And I know people are into baseball and everything over here, but I just want it's just I want some kind of like expressiveness. They're way more expressive about it. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And I think that's I know I know I'm I'm kind of wondering because like Japan is definitely more of a buttoned up society than we are. I, I mm-hmm. wonder if it's that sort of like, you know, I don't know a ton about like that. I don't know a ton about this portion of Japanese culture, but I wonder if like just based on like their television that I've watched, their movies that I've watched and like how like their sports look. I wonder if that is sort of like because they're so they're much more buttoned up in their everyday lives. If that is sort of like, OK, this is our off time. Let's get crazy. Like we're really going to invest ourselves in having fun and being loose now. I, I guarantee you it has to be, dude. Like the the way that the, the contrast between like what people think of as Japanese society versus one of those games, like that has to be like a major outlet for people to let loose. Probably, probably. Um, I like it though. Yeah, I would. Uh, Japanese baseball would be really fun to see up close. I mean, oh man, I like Japan's pretty. Japan's a pretty pretty high on my list of places to visit. Um, yeah, I just it's one of those things though, like. I really, like, I I would need to, if I knew I was going to go, let's say, like, next year, I would probably mm-hmm. start right now on my conversational Japanese. Yeah, I'm, believe me, like, I know I'm going to do that eventually and stuff like that. And I wanted to kind of do this whole, like, thing where I surprise Jess and stuff. Like, oh, hey, you now know how to speak Japanese, like, some cool kind of thing. Well, now she, like, works at home, so I can't do that. <laughs> It'll just like I'm, right. like I'm talking Japanese in the other room, so. <laughs> like, she just... <laughs> She thinks you're either losing it or like cheating on her with some uh, Japanese yeah. chicken. <laughs> and, right, and yeah, neither of neither of those are good. Right, exactly. Um, like it though, like it. Um, Chama, this is this is something that I found out about. I don't know, maybe like a decade ago, um, and I think I've mentioned it before um, at, at a very at some other point in some other sports uh, podcast that we did before, but I don't remember when and like the depth of the conversation, but. I really want to see um, this Italian sport called Calcio Storico. I'm pr- pretty okay. sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Calcio Storico, it's Italian Renaissance football. It was developed in the 15th century in Italy. Um, it is basically, if you look it up, if you look up Calcio Storico on YouTube, like look up those highlights, it's basically an organized street fight um, slash, slash boxing match slash wrestling match. And then sort of in between people literally beating each other senseless and, like, unconscious, there's, like, a football mm-hmm. game being played. No fucking shit. It's, how, and how we're do, talking, China, you, we're talking, there's 40, 45 people on the pitch at once, and it's, like, it's not like a soccer field. It looks like, have you ever seen, like, an indoor soccer game? Yeah, oh yeah. It feels like it's about that size. And okay. and you're they're boxed in and everyone else is just sitting around all the the crowds are sitting around them and they're kind of wearing uniforms that look like they would be from like the Renaissance Italy like big kind of like colorful pants and like shirts and stuff 
And, like, literally, like, they just, they throw a ball up, and, like, right away you'll see people just dive at each other's legs, and, like, on one side, like, someone will just immediately start punching someone else. And then, like, you gotta take this ball, run it upfield, and I think you gotta, like, throw it into the goal. Because, like, there is a goalkeeper. Okay. Is this, like, um... I, I highly doubt it's on a professional level, but does this sport like exist like you know just on like the street like people playing it in like no. sandlots or field? No. It doesn't. Okay. No. Well, like, I mean, it might have Italy, re- not here, here. Okay. The reason I ask is like Vice did a special like they covered a sport that sounds very very similar to this, but it, like it was it was honestly it looked like a bunch of people like just playing like in an open field somewhere. You know, they, they, had, were, they had stands like they if they weren't in Italy in particular, like in southern Italy, then this that's not what they're covering. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I, I can't I can't find the article I was looking for it, but um, this does sound absolutely fucking badass. Is what it sounds like, though, for these, sure. Just these even dudes, the, the, I'm telling you, just look up highlights, and you'll just see like people. You'll see like someone running the ball, people trying to sort of like block form, and then you'll just like look off to the side, and like there's a dude just li- there's like three or four dudes lying on top of each other, just punching each other. How do you um spell the first part of that um word? I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm like I'm interested to check that out for sure, dude. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre, but it's one of those things like this. Like it, this is really like where um, like the roots of rugby and obviously then American football come from. Is this sport? Of course, yeah. Like any type of time where you could somehow get a little bit of hand to hand combat in there, just for the fuck's sake of it. Why the hell not? It's and what's really bizarre is there there are referees and they sort of just like kind of step in. To make sure that, like, hold on, this guy's unconscious. You don't need to punch him anymore. Move on and punch <laughs> someone else. <laughs> like, yeah, I like. I would love to see like footage of the refs and like how the refs act and everything like that. And they're they're just like, you know, if everybody is there's any um any kind of like effort to like penalize it, or if it's just like, hey, break it up and everybody move on. It, that's I don't, like. I don't know like the, the the. I don't really know the rules per se. Like, I don't know like what would be. A foul. If, I don't. I mean, if you're just beating people unconscious, I can't imagine there's many fouls. But like, that kind of seems like what the referees do. Basically, just step in to like, all right, guys, like, let's let's at least make an attempt to play the sport instead of just fight each other. Yeah, I'm going to start up one of these leagues here in LA, and it is going to be like it is going to be one of the worst leagues to ever watch. No one's going to fight each other. It'll be a bunch of like kind of like hand slappy type stuff. No one will get physical. It's the most LA, the LA version of the sport that you could think of. Right, right, right. God, those those damn lefties on the left coast. I know. God, just pussifying our Italian sports. football. Yeah, it'll be flag um, to Rico. You know, it'll, that'll be the next step. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it here, though. We are, we're talking sports, and in particular, we've done this episode, we've done this type of episode a couple of times. Uh, it's blind sports. And what we do here, we have categories for all of our major sports. And uh, what we do here, we're, there's like a prompt for each one that's kind of like a general prompt for us to talk about. And then Chema and I are both going to have questions or topics that we're going to bring up that we don't know about in advance. So like that's the blind part. So Chema's going to ask me a question bring up a topic or whatever that I'm just going to kind of answer off the cuff and I'm going to do the same for him. Um, I do want to start Chema. This is getting right into it. Got a question that's not on the outline for you. Um, When you, okay, take out like the idea of like your team, you know, like you're a Browns fan, Cleveland, you know, you're a Cleveland sports fan, take out like the fandom part of like sports. Um, And I'm curious as to like what you, 
what you enjoy most about watching sports in general? You know, besides wanting the Browns to win, the Cavs to win, the Indians to or the Guardians, excuse me, to win. Well, that is a very, very good question, sir. Um, I would have to think that part of me comes from this nostalgic connection that I have to the games. Like I used to play football, I used to play basketball and, and baseball and everything. So there's just this general appreciation that I have for the sport. But I'm not going to lie. Like, I'd probably say that a majority of it is really like the socialization aspects, you know, like you getting together with your friends and stuff, like everybody is there for like a common thing. And some of the, I guess, camaraderie that is built Mm -hmm. amongst you and your friends while while viewing sports, whether it be live on TV, whatever it is. That seems to be like the stuff that I think I will take with me more to like throughout my life than some of the actual X's and O's and stuff. Gotcha. I love that answer. Now that's really great. Um, I, yeah, like it, it's like, I'm, it's funny because like, um, I, I too, well, you know, you know, like we both grew up playing sports in the same, <laughs> the same town. So like, you right. know, we, we, we played all the sports and everything uh, and, and many times actually together. Um, we played all the sports. Uh, so, like, yeah, there's that nostalgic connection, but I do like the... I do like how you're bringing up, like, how, you know, obviously we can't play baseball and football and basketball forever. Um, but I do like that, how you bring up, like, how that's sort of evolved into the socialization aspect of it. That it's, like, something that you can bond over with other people. Um, you know, when you think of... It's not even just fandoms. Like, obviously we can b- bond with other Browns fans or Cavs fans or whatever. But, like, just having other people that are interested in the sport, like... Um, I remember when I was in college, uh, one of the bars we used to go to on Sundays for the games, it like you could you'd see people wearing jerseys from all over the place. You know, you'd see right. Falcons fans, Browns fans, Bills fans, Chargers fans, um, you know, all wearing jerseys, all wearing their own jerseys. And like, I, I'm pretty sure this te- this bar had like the you know Sunday ticket package, so there was like at least like three or four games on, and it didn't even matter. Like, you could sit down and just talk with those people about their team, about the sport in general. What do you think about our team? Here's what I think about your team. There's just this really interesting social aspect to it that is like that I still remember over like who won who won that Browns Bengals matchup in 2011, you know, in week 12. Like I don't remember, but I remember having a good conversation with the Bengals fan that day. Yeah, oh yeah, man. Like when like the college bar circuit is that is where you get some of the best like um unity amongst the crowd of different teams. And when I was, um, when I was young, like even before I was able to drink, I went to a bar in Morgantown, West Virginia on a Sunday to, uh, do Sunday football and stuff. This place it's loaded. You know, I mean, this place is fucking packed. Like there's, um, there's gotta be jerseys from like every other fucking team in the NFL, just like in this crowd alone and different like little sections of people and stuff. And like, this is just one of these things where everybody's like, you know, eyes tuned to their different TVs. But like, you know, when halftime kind of syncs up around the same time and when the games all end around the same times, the place turned into like, you know, like a fucking legit college bar and stuff and everything you would think of, like people doing like body shots Mm -hmm. and all kinds of crazy chugging contests and everything like that. You know, I myself was involved in some of these, even as an underage kid. Whoa, Chama, you drank before you're 21. Yeah, I know. Not the body shots part, but definitely a lot of cheap beer <laughs> chugging. <laughs> and um, especially because I had like no money back then. So, um, but yeah, like there's like those, um, those kinds of tales, like from that time period of life, that's where I think you really get the um, almost like this real, 
the real like camaraderie experience. Cause once you get outside of that and you become adults, the five Pittsburgh people in the bar, like everybody's like, you know, taunting them and hassling them. There may be like one batch of Browns fans that tries to like, Oh man, Hey, we're not all like this and stuff. You could actually see this kind of crap, like playing out in front of your eyes. And it's a little more like it's, I wouldn't say it's like not as fun, but there's definitely like this lack of purity in it. Um, as far as like just a bunch of people in a room together, all enjoying different games or the same game. Yeah. 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 I got you. I think the, I think the closest you can get to that now, um, you know, if you're just to take up, you know, go to a bar downtown Cleveland or, you know, wherever, wherever you are in Los Angeles, um, the closest you can get to that now is like the NCAA tournament college basketball mm-hmm. where like a yeah. lot of people, most people probably don't have a very specific rooting interest. They're there just to watch games. Yeah, that's exactly right, dude. When we went to a, we went to a couple bars, uh, for March madness in 2019. And like, that's exactly what it was. I mean, you're just looking at a field of people rooting for different uh, sports teams and stuff like that, which you, you get a lot of here in LA. I remember going to a bar with Jess and, there were TCU fans there. I was like, whoa, how the hell did you end up in Southern California? <laughs> so it's, um, it, it is kind of interesting, you know, to see how these people from the Texas Christian university ended up in Southern California. You just don't usually have stories like that when everybody's, um, you know, when everybody's at uh, liquid or at, um, you know, the, whatever ABC tavern for the Browns game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll just add this to you really quickly that like, there's like sort of two really specific things that I key on. Um, when I think about like my my love of sports, um, one it's like truly like the only even when even more so than actually probably m- much more so than reality TV, it's like truly like the last like unscripted piece of entertainment that we have. Like mm-hmm. you legitimately like in just about every sport, you're, you know there's the adage you know you might see something you've never seen before, and that's literally true. Like you might see yeah. something that you've never seen before. Um, uh, just this last week in the Browns game, we saw the Steelers try to, we saw the Steelers function without a kicker for most of the game, um, (laughs) because of a really bad call that Mike Tomlin got away with because we're so terrible. Um, but like, you know, stuff like that happens. Like it's, it's really like, and you know, there's people that are like, oh, this game is fixed. The refs run on it. Okay. Like the, the amount of, the amount of orchestration that would have to go into, into arranging, uh, you know, into arranging a football game to come out a certain way in like week two, week four of the NFL season would be like master, like master genius level Moriarty shit. Um, right. It's 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 off. It's unscripted. It's off the cuff. Like anything can happen. So I love that. And then again, just to relate this back to the Browns. So a couple weeks ago, um, during the Thursday night game, the Browns are down their top two running backs. And then you get Dearness Johnson come out of, I wouldn't say come out of nowhere, because I think a lot of Browns fans know who he is, but certainly to the more the more national level football fan, the broader football fan at large, seeing this undrafted free agent who was working on a fishing boat a couple of years ago rush for 146 yards and, and a score, like you like those stories happen every year in a, in every sport where there's just sort mm-hmm. of an, under, I wouldn't say an underdog, he's in the NFL. So he's clearly one of the most talented people playing football on our in the planet, because he's in the league. But in terms of his status in the league, not very high. And even like guys like Dearness Johnson can have a big game. There's a chance for someone to have a big game, to do something amazing. Uh, earlier this summer, uh, Padres relief pitcher hits a grand slam. And, um, you know, like the first relief pitcher hit a grand slam in something like 30 years. Like, mm-hmm. just those little stories happen in sports. And they, like, you literally, you, 
and what's the comparison? Like Hollywood couldn't script this, or this is straight out right. of a Hollywood movie because like that's what Hollywood sees these things happen and go like that's a good story. We got to figure out how we can spin that into a TV show, a movie, or whatever. But like it starts, it starts in sports. Yeah, no, dude, that's exactly right about this being like one of the last unscripted forms of entertainment, dude. And I got to tell you, like, so the Dearness Johnson story. That is just a great fucking story right there. I mean, and the good thing is, is that like the NFL and sports is loaded with these kinds of stories. Even Kurt Warner, like working in the grocery store to going to a uh, a Super Bowl champion and get yep. a movie starring Zachary, uh, Zachary Levy coming out here mm-hmm. pretty soon or if it's not already out. But um, and like these are these kinds of stories that are they're only like in these very, very small windows of time. You know, you don't get those every single week, you know, and you were lucky to maybe even get five of those a year per sport. If that's, you know, I mean, so, and the way that these things turn out to be like with the Dearness Johnson thing, I mean, you're right. Like a lot of Cleveland people know who we are, but know who he is, but no one expected him to be the leading rusher in the NFL that week, you know, mm-hmm. and to just come out there it's always this cool moment that he's going to be able to hang his hat on. And it could be end up being, um, you know, if that game somehow turns out to be like this crazy impact game or this like nucleus of the Browns sort of turning it around at whatever you want to call it. If there's some kind of relevance that ends up to that game, like, you know, as, the, as a result of the season, that could be like one of those things that a lot of people look back on. It's just like, man, you remember when that guy did that on Thursday night football, no less. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. The, I mean, maybe the most obvious, obvious one that we're missing here the tom brady story only happens for only happens in sports right yeah exactly oh god yeah dude you're not getting that anywhere else like even like there are like certain like i guess like underdog actors or whatever but those the career in acting and everything it's a little bit more like formulaic and calculated and stuff Mm -hmm. you know like people to get that perfect role and some people may just fall into the perfect role but you know you might to get into the next perfect role is a little bit more of a calculated effort than all of a sudden the six string quarterback becoming the greatest football player to ever play the game right exactly exactly yeah that's a really good point too like you you can have uh, yeah i think you can have this in like in the entertainment realm but it's i like yeah it's much more formulaic like you can be a not particularly good looking actor and they're you know what they'll do with you they're like well you're a villain now like, mm-hmm. like, or, or you you could be a character actor, like, and then you right. could have like a long career being a character actor. Like you, you know, it's just different. Like it, it's just different the way that like the stuff that stuff in sports happens versus the rest of the, versus the rest of the world, the business world, the entertainment world, it just doesn't really happen the same way. Right. And like, you may hear stories about like, you know, actor, like Chris Pratt, like living in his van and stuff like that. And now he's like a primetime Hollywood actor and stuff, but I feel that that story is a little bit more, not necessarily like living in the van specifically, but somebody coming from a less fortunate background or a less fortunate situation into Hollywood fame. I feel that that is like a little bit more common in Hollywood than it is in the world of sports. Yeah. And like you, somebody, somebody might come up as a, um, a third string quarterback and come out and, and kill it, you know, for like one game. But like, the kind of longevity that like Chris Pratt is a set, like it's, you know, it's just not as common in the NFL. Like the third stringer might have that one great game and that's it. Kevin Porter Jr. could have that one fifty point game and that's it for the rest of his life. You right. Well, Chris Pratt is going to be around for 20, 30 years. Right. And let's also keep in mind, Chris Pratt voluntarily lived in a van so he could smoke weed every day. 
Yeah, this wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, he was like he was voluntarily broke. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. And a little no, different, like it's uh, a like, little. I could I could have went with Jewel or something like, but for some reason, car, I, yeah, yeah. Like there's this whole thing. I heard a story about Chris Pratt being Michael Myers's voice in Halloween Kills. I'm hoping that that's just a stupid rumor or tweet that that I saw get circulated around. So he's on he's on the brain today and stuff. He's gotcha. also this really weird photo of him and his wife that just kind of irks me. <laughs> <laughs> he he irks me in general, but we won't we won't go down that path. Um, but yeah. let's but let's hop into it, Chema. Let's let's get into the uh, the bulk of the blind sports here, and I think we should kick it off with a little bit of football here. Um, and for the general prompt that I, that I uh, threw out there for you, um, talking a little uh, college football here to start off. So, when do you think that we're going to see the the playoffs, the college football playoff expand, and how many teams are going to be in it? Okay, so I believe. They're under, still under contract for this four-game thing for another couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. So I think it's like 2025 is like the last season of this four-game thing. So I don't think we're going to see anything happen before that. And as much as the situation calls for it, I just don't think we're going to get anything till after like the 2025 season and stuff. And also around that time is when the big um, – the merger with uh, the big with the Texas uh, joining Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC is going to happen around that time. So I think we'll, so if it's 2021 now, we're looking somewhere between 2026 and 2028 for the official expansion. And like I saw this article about 12 schools and I got to tell you, man, I'm not on the 12 schools bandwagon at the current moment. And there's. Um, there's a reason for that, which I'm kind of teasing as a topic for later on. Okay. But um, when it comes to the expansion, I really just think eight's the appropriate amount. And if I'm looking, I'm looking at the top uh, 25 right now, and the top eight teams are Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Michigan, and Oklahoma. <sighs> like now, and that's if the the, the playoffs were to happen today, if on an eight team expansion, that's what it would be. Right now. I, I kind of feel like all the bases are covered there, you know, like I, I don't. And so if I'm going out of the, so just once again, using the same model and going with the additional four teams, nine is Wake Forest, 10 is Notre Dame, 11 is Oklahoma state, 12 is Baylor. I, I just think the point is made with eight teams here. And like, I, I don't believe that like 12s will like actually like dilute the playoffs, but you're going to be looking at one round that unless you have a, a dog in, in that fight or in this race, no one's going to care. Mm -hmm. You know, like I mean, the, the ratings for Georgia versus Texas, uh, which Georgia versus Baylor. Yeah. That's not going to be all that strong. And number, and then also like number two, like, you know, Georgia's going to outright, like I feel that that is a Georgia outright trucking them, but however it's football and college sports, anything can happen. But I just I don't know, man, like I just feel that like 12 is a little bit too much um, and especially to go from four to 12, because when you look at like what you'd be jumping from now, despite the controversies that come with some of the selections each year in the college football playoff, I'm kind of comfortable to say that whoever makes it in there, you know, has got a, a pretty decent argument to be in the college football playoff and stuff. And this even goes back to when Ohio state jumped over Penn, when Penn state won the big 10 and didn't make it in. 
I believe that Ohio State had more of a right to be there than Penn State just based on Ohio State being a better fucking football team and everything. So when you're making this jump of four teams that are just all of them are going to be good, some of the games end up being blowouts and stuff. I remember like Washington and Oklahoma going up against Mm -hmm. Alabama and stuff. It's just not pretty. But um, like, you know, at least it's 14, you know, just that those teams were like decided as the best teams. When you get into like 12 and stuff, I don't, I just don't think really that the games are going to be all that good in a way. If you work it into December, um, I, I think it might be a little bit of an advantage to get people playing faster instead of waiting a whole month or three weeks before the bowl game startup. But I just, in general, I, I don't think we're going to be looking at as good of a product if we make the jump to 12 teams. But if we, if you just take the top eight and going off of what I, what I had quote, you know, just read off here, that's a pretty stacked fucking playoffs. You know, that is basically teams that have all, with the exception of Cincinnati, everybody has either been in the college football playoff or has got some type of like notoriety on a national scale and stuff, even including Michigan. Like they shared the, the title back in 95 or whatever. So um, in many, and Michigan is a historic program. So like, I think it is definitely like way more important for them to be in it than let's say Wake Forest, you know, because Wake Forest is just going to be one of those one and done years, but something like Michigan getting back and in, getting into the college playoff, that could um, help and all Michigan and Michigan State. Those two Big Ten teams getting in the playoffs, I think, could help reestablish the Big Ten. It could maybe get better recruits to the program. So it means more for a school like Michigan to get in there than Wake Forest in using the model that I've just presented. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Um, the 12 teams is way too much. I've seen that circulate. That's not really like an official idea. That's just people putting up stuff on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, it'll never, ever get that big. Like if, if it ever gets to 12, then it might as well get to 16. Like, and you might as well right. have like a legitimate, like sort of tournament. Um, but it's just not going it, to, it'll never happen that way. Um, eight, eight is, eight is definitely the correct number. Um, it always feels like, it feels like any given year, there are two teams that have like a legit claim, um, mm-hmm. to, to being in the college football playoff. So kind of expanding it out to eight will kind of cover you there. And then you can then you can get in your and you know, if we had eight back in the year that uh, Ohio State jumped Penn State, you would have had Ohio State and Penn State in in the college right. football playoff. So that seems to like cover like a couple of those scenarios if you go to eight. Any more than that, I think it's just it's just like it's too much because of the things that you're kind of describing. Like the difference between uh, the number one team in the country and the number one, tw- number 12 team in the country, generally speaking, most years is pretty drastic. Um, right. Like that number 12 team probably wasn't like they, it wasn't like they held 12 all year more than likely. It's probably a team that lost a couple of games um, or mm-hmm. won games late that were important, but like lost games early. You know what I mean? Like it, it was yeah. probably a relatively, in, um, in college football terms, it was probably a relatively um, inconsistent team that's sitting outside the top 10 and those teams get absolutely slobber knocked by, by teams that are really good. Usually, um, I guess anything, like you said, anything can happen, but I just think keeping it to a top eight is, is much more practical and logical. However, I think you're way too far out of the timeline. Um, like way, way too far out in the timeline. If college football and all the networks think they're going to make more money, they will take any contract that they have and wipe their ass with it and write a new one. Um, if they think if they're going to make $10 billion more, like it's, you know, like that's, that's not even a question. 
Um, the problem is, I think because they're the NCAA, they're going to fuck this up. The first iteration is going to get <laughs> fucked up. Um, next season, they're still going to roll with, with four. Like, we're still going to see another another typical, you know, four, and we're going to be bitching about it or whatever. I would not be shocked by 2023 or at the latest before um, before we have a lot of uh, movement amongst the, the, you know, the Power Five. Um, so 2023-2024, I think we'll see an expansion, and I think the NCAA will do the dumb fuck thing and move it to six. And then we will unfortunately get sort of stuck in a system of six for a few years, you know, where like the top, mm-hmm. your top two seeds get a buy. And then, and then like, you know, the, the, the next four teams play, you know, the four through 60 seeds play. And then like in the next week we have another, uh, you know, we have another like two matchups before we get to the title game. But I think like moving it up to six is the only thing that that would do would ensure that, um, that, you know, whoever finishes second to Alabama, Whoever finishes second to, um, you know, I don't know, Clemson, that's like the only, that'll be the avenue for them. It won't actually open it up to anyone meaningful. Like, I think if you were to do a top six, that right now, in the end of the year, Cincinnati would still get left out. Mm-hmm. And I think oh, that's God, what yeah. they'll fucking do because the NCAA is full of dumb people. Yeah, you know something like um, the fact that you brought up them fucking it up totally on the table here a top six doesn't do anything for anybody and the bye weeks i think are a problem because you're going to have this team that'll be rested now for so if the conference championship games are in like the last weekend in november first weekend in december you're going to have this team that'll be last be rested for a longer period of time and i feel that that's going to work to their advantage dude and i remember like when ohio state lost to either Florida or Alabama in the in the middle part of the early 2000s that there was a lot of like uproar about just like god they waited all this time and that's what screwed them up and I know that's probably one of many different Ohio State fans excuses for tanking those two games but I just feel that waiting that long isn't really the answer and in terms of putting like the the best possible product on the field it's just too long of a wait, dude. It really really is and I, I think that that puts the number one and two teams even though they are the you know the number one and two teams it puts them at a little bit of a like an unfair disadvantage you know like they shouldn't have to like they shouldn't be put in that position because of scheduling and stuff like that you know i feel that everybody should start on the same time to just get the same amount of action and same amount of like kind of contact or game time in i don't think that matters at all um i don't i mean alabama had the same time off that we had last year and they kicked the shit out of us when we played them yeah, no, I like I totally hear you on that, but I just I think that like the um maybe that like that week in between might be something or I don't know. It might no, end up giving the team <laughs> like, the opportunity. You, you to think get Alabama's on. not gonna be prepared because they had an extra week off? No, that's a really good point as well. That's <laughs> like, a good point. Yeah, I, I, in fact I would well, not like, want to give Nick Saban an extra week. Yeah, like well those teams are like they're so fucking stacked that it just doesn't even matter like what they do, you know. But like if if it was more of like a um I guess if they weren't so fucking good, it might be a little bit of a disadvantage. But those teams are just too stacked. Like they, they could show up and do kick ass whenever the hell they want to, whether it's right now or tomorrow morning at six o'clock in the morning, they're gonna be game ready. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't I don't think that I don't think that matters. I mean like the like think about it now, there's four weeks in between games. 
um, for the you know for the college football playoff. And I don't know, one team usually kicks the shit out of the other. So like, I don't, I just don't think it matters. But um, but yeah, like I I just think uh, yeah I, I think we we we're both right though. Like in some capacity, that eight teams is the correct number. Boy, I can just see the NCAA screwing it up though and going with six. Yeah, that's like it just doesn't help anybody here. And like we made a point about how like the one team, you know, like the Cincinnati every single year, there is one of those teams like, and whether they are ranked in the top 10 every year is completely up for debate, but there's at least some team out there that kind of comes out of nowhere and that impresses people. And who knows if they win out and they have a series of impressive victories and get into the top eight, I think that that like allows this, you know, the one kind of out there, nobody thought would ever make it school, the opportunity to get in. And like, you know, it's not going to, the, the, the field of eight isn't going to be crowded up with these teams. There's no fucking way in hell that they're going to put a Cincinnati coastal Carolina and like somebody else all in the top eight, you know, it'll be like the winners of the, the big five conferences, the SEC, the the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, and um, uh, the Big 12, you know, they'll all get in. Well, the Pac-12 um, does not include them just yet. Yeah, not they, they got some time to recover <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. But, but like, you know, I mean, it's just like when this whole thing in 2014, 2015, if you won, sorry, the, the first couple of years, if you won the Pac-12, you were guaranteed to be in yep. now, not so much. Yeah. But, um, but like in time, I do feel that that will be the case. And um, it just it gives the opportunity for three additional schools to get in, whether it's the number two in the SEC, number two in the Big Ten, some school like Cincinnati, like it's just some random Big 12 school or something that had a badass year, whatever the case may be. I, the additional um, four slots will be more beneficial to the sport than just having an additional two spots. Yeah. This, Chema, if anything, this calls for my three-tiered college football championship system. Um, oh, yeah. Because if we're, if we're talking about like just the top 40 teams um, split across four divisions, ten teams each, then for me, like just the, cha- the champions of those divisions, that's enough. Then you could do four because that would be enough. Yeah, that's right. That is exactly right, for sure. And believe I've been I was a supporter of this system even when you and I were talking about it off air and everything. And if if competition and players continue to go to only a handful of schools, like we're going to need something like that, dude. I mean, it's just going to get boring if it's seriously if we're talking in 10 years there's been just the same, you know, four college football teams over and over again. Like somebody's going to get sick of that. Yeah. I'll la- last thing I'll say on this just sort of in support of that idea that, that, you know, I laid out is that like, as someone who went to Bowling Green and you as someone who went to Akron, I would be much more engaged if I knew that there was a chance that like my best, the best years that like, you know, let's, let's just say in a couple of years, Bowling Green has, they somehow, although they won some games, they shouldn't have won this year, but let's just say two years from now, three years from now, Bowling Green's back to winning nine games a year, eight games a year. I'm going to be much more engaged as an alumni of that school, knowing that they have a chance to win a title than mm-hmm. knowing that like the best they can do is win the Mac and then go to like the fucking, I don't know, like the Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama credit union bowl and right. play fucking play a, a six win army team. Like it's, you know, like that's like the final reward for winning nine games. Like, but what if, but what if we got into a playoff against, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like BG ball state, SMU and like Hawaii 
and like those are your final four and like that's in that second division and one of those is going to win a championship i'm interested as a as someone who went to bowling green yeah, exactly. Like I would be interested as somebody who went to as went to Akron and stuff like that. And I'm not going to lie, I'd probably pay attention to that even if it was teams that I had no investment in whatsoever because it's a cool little freaking playoff system and it's four of the best teams in that region going to town on each other. Yep. Like that's what I want I'd be gladly interested in that. It might actually add some weight to you know, some of these like just lesser known bowls and stuff at the Birmingham Credit Union, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama Credit Union Bowl was I the I don't know if that's of, an actual bowl, the but it very well could be. It, it probably is at this point in time. The Kimmel's got either having a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl for crying out loud. Like I would be surprised <laughs> if, if that's the case. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a better idea. Like when we talked about it before, I just think that the way you divided up the teams is a much better system than what we have now. And like, I got to tell you, like, as far as like fans go, like it does kind of suck knowing that um, the best that you could do is, you know, even if you're lucky as a max school to make it to the Birmingham, Alabama credit union, you know, it's just like you're having games just to have them. Yeah. There was, I remember uh, Roethlisberger's junior year, uh, Miami went, I don't know. No, they didn't go undefeated. I think they lost one game. And uh, so they were like 12 and one or whatever. And like the reward was like some, some like, you know, December, like 19th bowl game in Carolina, one of the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Like they, they didn't like not even like go into like the, you know, like the, the Outback bowl or something like what a fucking waste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. And like, even as it, like as a team, like I know it's it's probably cool you're going to a bowl game and you're going to another city and stuff, but I mean, like there's no way in hell that like you know people are going to look back and be like, man, that Alabama Birmingham Alabama Credit Union Bowl was just like that was the game of my life, man. Like I, I just don't even I I don't even see it. <laughs> no those one's games like, don't no even, one's that into it. Those games don't even sell out like locally. When we were when I was um, in Phoenix for the Fiesta Bowl, the like the the night before was the Cheez-It Bowl at um at the Diamondbacks ballpark because they weren't going to play yeah. two days in a row on the they weren't going to let like uh, they weren't going to let the cheese they right. weren't going to let the Cheez-It Bowl competitors play on the same field as the Fiesta Bowl competitors um right so it was in the Diamondback stadium and like people we heard some people locally you know like some of the bartenders we were talking to were talking like going to the game and they were just like yeah we might go might not and I'm like Oh, so you can just like walk up to the gate and buy tickets to it. Like that's how many people are going to a ball game. Yeah, that is p- pretty fucking pathetic, right there. Yeah. Like these bowl games should be like this massive display of like pageantry and like something that people like really, really give a shit about. And now there are so many of them. Like it's just it's hard even to fucking to keep track of it and stuff. Like you could tell me somebody, I might even like like the team, and you tell me that they're in some crazy bowl. It's like I don't even want to look up to find out when that's going to be on. It should just be on New Year's. Right. Well, it's yeah, I know. It's probably at, like a, during the week in December, and you're never going to see it. So, right. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, uh, let's time. yeah, Chubba, let's let's get let's move on though. Uh, what is your what is your question? Uh, your blind question that you're throwing out for us. All right, dude. So uh, two major programs between USC and LSU, they have parted ways with their head coaches this year, like right in the middle of the season. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Clay Helton and Ed Orgeron are both gone from their programs. Ed Orgeron is not gone from the program. Oh, he's I thought he's not the he's not going to be not going to be the head coach at the end of the year. End of the year. That's right. So at the end of the year, Ed Orgeron is gone. Who do you see um, replacing these two coaches at at USC and LSU? 
man, it's a good, it's a tough question because I think the the ties that Urban Meyer has to the college football game would make either one sort of, especially that he gets to like pull the escape hatch and get the fuck out mm-hmm. of Jacksonville, which was I, I honestly can't believe Shad Khan that, that that would be a good idea anyway, but like it's an easy out for him um, and it makes sense for him to go back, but realistically, do you? Do you want as either one of those schools to inherit that baggage and that like current headache that Urban Meyer is? I mean, see, I would say yes in general, yes, but like, man, that's like that is just sort of like, hey, don't worry, we took and you know the last person to do this was Nick Saban, and it kind of worked out pretty well for him. Um, but Urban Meyer is not Nick Saban. Um, Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach of all time. So. Mm-hmm. And Urban Meyer is a great coach. He's going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame at some point in time. But, like, there are degrees to there's, – there's many degrees difference between him and Nick Saban. And I just have a feeling that if you if, – if LSU or, or, or USC goes after Urban Meyer, you're not getting Florida Urban Meyer. You're not getting Ohio State Urban Meyer. You're going to get something that's significantly closer to Jacksonville Urban Meyer. And it'll still be – you know – his connections and stuff will still make a make a make make a difference, but I, I just I, I think the best of Urban Meyer's already come and gone. So that's 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 the first part of that. Um, I don't know. Do you want to respond real quick before I get on to oh, my actual answer? I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up, actually, dude, because I've I've been wanting to get your thoughts on that whole thing. And for me, like I originally thought this idea of him leaving Jacksonville and stuff like that to go to the college game after one year. I, I kind of thought that this was all just BS and stuff like, you know, maybe the internet overreacting. Now I'm, I have a feeling that that is a little bit more probable that that could happen. Like him, him leaving and stuff like that. Um, I actually think that that might end up being the better move for him because I mean, you're not going to have a winning fucking team in Jacksonville for a couple of years and stuff like that. Like Trevor Lawrence, like, I just don't see him like going like doing the, what Joe Burrow did and you know outright turning the team around and everything so far that like Joe Burrow has done. Joe Burrow has a good so, team though, and Trevor yeah. Lawrence might as well have you at wide receiver and me at running back. <laughs> right, right, and like so, I just I don't see Jacksonville having like a, like that like a turnaround like the Bengals or even like the the Browns had with Baker and stuff. I just don't see it, and like I don't see him being around all that long. So all of this stuff like to me it it made a whole lot of sense but i thought that this was like one of these examples of the internet really jumping the gun and then it was like the bar thing comes around and then hey shelly's an anti-vaxxer and stuff so there's just this like kind of unnecessary drama that is coming along with him that to me doesn't seem like even if he were to go to either usc or lsu i'm just not seeing him even being there long long like maybe a couple years or something like if that and then who knows he might have another heart issue or something or you know these turn these teams don't turn around as quickly as he maybe thought oh god you know hearts another heart issue and he's gone so i just you're you may you put it the best when you say that like this isn't the florida or ohio state urban meyer this is a completely different almost like damaged goods urban meyer it's not even Utah Urban Meyer or Bowling Green Urban Meyer where there was like innovation and like energy and enthusiasm. I just, I don't see it. Um, Urban Meyer, regardless, they could, unless like Jacksonville like wins out 
there's no way that Chad Khan is keeping Urban Meyer in Jacksonville for another season. There's just no ch- no chance. He's going to get fired. He might mm-hmm. as well he might as well quit before that happens. But um, or at least be given be given the courtesy of being of being able to say that he quit when he was just going to get fired. But yeah. real answer to this, I think James Franklin has taken Penn State as far as he can take them. Um, okay. There's just no uh, unless when was the last time. I mean, they've had Saquon Barkley recently, but when was the last time that they had a game-changing quarterback? Like, that's what you need to win in college football. But James Franklin's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. I could see him fitting in either at USC or LSU. And he doesn't come with that same baggage that Urban Meyer mm-hmm. or, or a lot of other flashy hires come with. It would almost, for me, like it would almost be like USC kind of going screw hiring the next big name the next like the, the flashy name the, the sexy name out there we're going to go with a proven football coach that wins and we're going right. to give him all of our resources and then i would also throw into the mix i'm not sure how much longer pj fleck has at minnesota not because like they're not good i mean they're still a solid program but i don't feel like pj Fleck's last stop is minnesota like he's not going to be the head coach of minnesota for the next 25 years um right so LSU, sure. It, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be more jobs that open up. Probably, obviously, not as high profile as those two, but like that, that almost seems like again, sort of the the opposite of Ed Ogeron in a lot of respects. Um, you know, like someone who isn't someone who's fiery, but in a way that's like fiery for you know for the program, for his players, people, you know, a coach that like clearly is respected by his players and not hated by mm-hmm. his players, uh, like Ed Ogeron is. <laughs> Um, right. someone who didn't didn't divorce his wife and like start hooking up with like twenty year olds like immediately after like bringing him to practice yeah yeah bringing him to practice like that kind of shit's not gonna happen with PJ Fleck and it almost would be like again sort of like like let's go with not just like a safe hire like a good hire that doesn't have like weird baggage as far as we know yeah yeah exactly like PJ Fleck is all like ever since I've heard about him being a coach at Minnesota, there's been an overabundance of positive things to say about him and stuff. And like the team, like the team's records and stuff like are not necessarily like a reflection of how good of a coach this guy is. I mean, he's playing they're in Minnesota for crying out loud, you know? So um, I think that this guy definitely has the mind to do it. And you're entirely right in the fact that Minnesota is not going to be a place that um, he retires from he's going to have a couple more stops down the road in his uh, mm-hmm. career and everything so like i i do like him um i like the idea of james franklin coming to usc a little bit more than pj fleck just because i feel mm-hmm. that james franklin is that, that guy just i mean like what he came into and stuff with penn state and everything and just you know i mean the team was he wasn't that I don't think he was the the coach that came in like right after the scandal, but he came in like a couple years down the road and you, you're right, dude, he's basically done. Like, I think all that he is going to do and he's had Saquon, but he's never really had this stud be all end all quarterback and everything like that. And, so and he can get he that could, in Southern California. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think that um, that's a little bit more reasonable than some of like some of the other like coaches that appear on these lists are like, there's no way Mario Cristobal is going to leave Oregon Mm-mm. to go to USC. Mm-mm. Like not a fucking chance. I've seen articles like with him as like the number three candidate. I'm like there's no way in hell that that's going to happen. Like he, I, only I if know, he like, were to get fired from Oregon, and that's not happening. Right. 
it's not definitely not happening this year. Now they could tank, they could tank another game, which they're going to do. Believe me, Oregon's not going to lose. Oh yeah, they're going to lose um, again. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Oregon State. Like that's that that is just mark that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, um, it's either Washington or Oregon State, but they're taking a game. Like, and they're not going to fire him over that. Like, not a fucking chance are they going to do that. And so there's no reason for him to go down to USC. And like, I know that USC is like one of these like um kind of like how the mayor of New York is like one of those really great political jobs. This is like one of those like really great like coaching jobs to have. But he's still not going to leave Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's whoever wrote some of these articles, like just really having no clue about the college football scene in general. But James Franklin was actually like the number one people, the number one coach on on these lists and stuff. And that I can see Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Sure. I'd rather have him at LSU than at USC. That's just me personally. Like, I'm sure I know he's young and seems really, really smart. But I just for USC, I don't think that they were going to they're going to go that route. So I, I don't necessarily see him coming here. Um, but the one name that I am kind of interested in, and I'm going to see where this goes, is the potential of bringing Eric the enemy to USC. And a lot of that, I feel, is going to be contingent on how the Chiefs do this year, which um, they're not looking so hot right now. But that is another like in- an interesting name that I think um, would would be, you know, yeah a cool name to have his hat in the ring. And I got to think, dude, if you're one of these coaches, like coming into, coming into USC, you're walking into like, you're not necessarily walking into the best team, but you're walking into a program that's believe me, if this whole Alliance thing happens, they're going to give you whatever the hell they need to do to make USC competitive again. And I think that when you have this huge state of 30 million people and a lot of talent to pick from, like, dude, C.J. Stroud is from the Inland Empire. Like, that's nowhere near Los Angeles. That's like the fucking desert and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, I mean, that is far, far in, in, out of from where I live, dude, in the middle of nowhere. And so, um, you know, if you could harness some of the talent that's here – and I think it's a pretty decent pitch for you to walk in and be like, hey, I'm the new coach at USC. Everything that was done before, we're not going to do it like that and we're going to win. I think that they might be in a better position to um, to succeed. So like mm. I so I'm hoping I'm in the enemy the, and the, the Franklin camp for the USC job and for LSU. Like I, I'm seeing more maybe like a Matt Campbell, maybe PJ Fleck, like. There's all this talk about Dabo going there, but I'm just Mm-mm. like, yeah, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. Like in general, I don't even think LSU would Dabo, actually want him. Right, Dabo's plus like, like his quarterback. I, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name right now off the cuff, um, but like, um, DJ. Uh, I, I know. Fuck who, it, I will. But yeah, like his quarterback, it, the, he was a top recruit, and there's no way he's just going to bail on him after like one bad season, like. Right, like he could, like all signs, and he, I think he's got another quarterback in the pipeline too. Um, there, that's sitting there, that that could be, you know, that that they that they trust to take over as well. There's no way he's going to abandon him right now, unless like if it happens, if it happens again next year, like that, like they have a terrible season. I could see it, um, but just unlikely. Here's my here's my nightmare scenario, Chema, is that mm-hmm. LSU and some of these other schools they hire other names. And Matt Campbell kind of waits it out at Iowa State for a little bit while longer, and then yeah. when Harbaugh inevitably gets fired, Campbell goes to Michigan and makes Ohio State's in our lives a living hell for the next decade. Uh, yeah, that is a very, very nightmare scenario. And um, Harbaugh, like I will tell you, dude, like I respect the fact that 
he took less money or something this year. He like, he's not getting paid as much. Um, he's actually like out of the big 10 coaches, he's like the third least paid out of the entire, like that, out yeah. of the entire conference. So like, I can kind of respect them for, for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I res- number one, I don't respect Jim Harbaugh. And number two, um, his days are just, they're, they're numbered dude. Like he, I just, I just feel, not, yeah, if he doesn't beat Ohio state this year, I just can't, I can't imagine that he has more than a one-year leash. I know they don't do; they're not, they're not very rash at Michigan. Um, even with, especially with like quote unquote Michigan men, um, mm-hmm. they don't react as rashly as they as some other um, some other programs do. But like, how much how much more rope are you going to get? How much, do you want to go over ten against Ohio State? They would have <laughs> lost last year um, had they played. Right. So, did you want to go over ten against Ohio State? Yeah, dude. Like, I think right now, like. And even, you know, with last year being what it was and stuff, I I almost think that they've been wanting to fire him for a while, but they don't really have anybody else to get. So, you know, at some point in time, hopefully not that like Campbell doesn't go there because, you know, this guy's got a lot of promise and like what he's done with Ohio with Iowa State. Like I actually know who Iowa State is now. So, I mean, mm. that's a lot better than what it was a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I. I think that um, that is definitely a nightmare scenario that um, people might might get worried about. Or, or, or my other hope is that you know Campbell, besides Campbell, maybe going to the SEC, is that that Nebraska job is going to be open soon enough, and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a significant step up in resources and recruiting uh, from Iowa State would be go to Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So who knows? He might actually be uh, the guy who shows to the world why Nebraska is worthy of being in the Big Ten after all these fucking Yeah, I know. Right? I know. All right. Uh, Gemma, let's get to uh, let's get to my question here. I'm going I'm going to the NFL. Um, OK. Are we moving an era to a toward an era in the NFL where the QB is more replaceable than ever before? Whew. Well, I will tell you something, dude. Um, I would have to say yes, because just in sheer amount of football talent that's out there. And if we're losing and if we're using what happened this past weekend as some as like a little bit of a starting point where three quarterbacks came in off of the bench and had success. Um, yeah, I think so. And like the um, <clears throat> sorry about that. So in terms of like replaceability, if we're, you know, if we're going with like the Cleveland Browns, for example, and let's just say Baker like really, really stinks it up, you know, he's probably not going to be the quarterback of the future and they're going to make the opportunity, take the opportunity to replace him. And so the, the thing is, is that like, you know, whether they go older or younger, you still have like a pretty decent crop that you might be able to put some kind of trade situation for. Now, maybe like this, these trades and everything like that. I mean, believe me, you yeah, I'm sure you've been listening to him all week about, hey, let's trade for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, like, you know, these stuff that probably won't happen. But the fact that they could easily replace Baker with somebody better or somebody as good, I think is a testament to, like, what you're saying about the quarterback's replaceability. But if you get, like, a really, really, really good quarterback, they might be irreplaceable. Correct. You know? Correct. Okay. I mean, yes, that's that's an obvious one. But look at the teams that have a really, really great quarterback. It's like yeah. five teams, basically. That's true. And, and That's what, and true. What I, like kind of what like like what I'm getting at here with this is that team construction is much different, much more different than now than it is than it was even like five to ten years ago, especially like about a decade ago. Teams would okay. you draft the quarterback high, 
and then you know that's uh, that's your first piece and then you start finding that guy pieces you know a tackle um a running back wide receiver whatever it is then you start finding pieces for him now it's different it's very clearly different we're going to just draft a good running back. We're going to sign good linemen. We're going to sign good defenders and draft a defensive end. And then when the right quarterback comes along, we'll take him with the team already being built. The The Bucks were not built for Tom Brady. They were built for Jameis Winston. It just never worked out. However, mm-hmm. that team was ready to go, and look what happens. Um, <laughs> right. The Rams were not built for Matthew Stafford. And, in fact, like I know there was like a, an adjustment period um, with Stafford and uh, and McVeigh, you know him, you know their their two styles kind of blending together. But that team wasn't built for Matthew Stafford; it was built for Jared Goff. And mm-hmm. the way and and kind of like sort of the way you're, you you mentioned before, like there's like a lot of talent available. Well, like we've talked about it before, how the talent level and the skill level of the NFL is kind of it's closer to the college game than ever before because of the way the game gets played, um, especially at the quarterback position. Like you don't. You're, you know, those running quarterbacks aren't being asked to suddenly become pocket passers. Like, coaches are finally tailoring the game to who their quarterback is. So there's like a, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be an abundance of more NFL ready QBs um, coming out of the college ranks than there ever have been before. So you can kind of, I don't want to say plug and play, but like I, I think we're kind of, we're probably in agreement here. I don't, I don't think Baker is gonna be the guy who leads us to a Super Bowl necessarily. He could be. He could be in the right circumstances, but Baker could be one of these guys that is a seat warmer until we're able to trade for Russell Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. And just for the record, I think he'd look great in orange and brown. Oh yes, oh yes, dude. And like the way you put it right there, with like these teams being built for, you know, you're right. The Rams were not built for Matthew Stafford. They were built for Jared Goff, but you, however, you extract Goff and replace with Matthew Stafford, and all of a sudden you're looking at one of the best teams in the league, if not the best. And um, I didn't know they just had, they made some moves on defense and everything too, mm-hmm. especially with the additions of Von Miller, and that's only going to help them out and stuff. And like the thing that I like what you say about Baker and everything is like you know he he might not, but we have so many like working pieces around him that he, he could lead us to the, uh, the super bowl. If everybody's healthy, like we have a super bowl caliber roster, at least a deep going playoff roster. And I'll tell you something, like if they're able to like keep this roster together, that like, that could be the real ticket here. Cause you can, you just imagine like if you, um, you know, let's just say, for example, that Baker and OBJ are both gone sometime here in the, in the new in the near future. Mm-hmm. You bring you bring in Russell Wilson and stuff. And, oh, now Russell Wilson's got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. He's got um, Dearness Johnson. <laughs> like he's got uh, <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones. Landry. He's got a better he's got a better defense than he's had the last several years in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. He's got an O-line for him and stuff, too. He's got a really decent O-line. So just imagine like what that guy could do almost from jump, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause the rest of the team, like, I know that the quarterback has to be like in sync with the rest of the team. Like I, I know that for sure. And they all have to like play together, but you know, so the team around him is going to have all this experience, like running Stefanski's playbook, running that offense, being comfortable in that offense, mastering that offense. And like Russell Wilson is one of these dudes who's just so talented where like, I believe that he could just call the play, you know, do uh, take the snap, go through his progressions, 
and he's going to make contact with receivers down the field, just almost like as if he was there from the entire time, mm-hmm. you know? And um, when you have somebody like that, who is like a given playmaker in a team that is like just designed to, to do a lot of fucking damage offensively, I think that that's a really, really great fit. And the Tom Brady example is an absolutely fantastic one. Like Tampa Bay really wasn't anything special. And then, you know, you replace Jameis with Tom Brady and they're in the freaking Super Bowl and winning it and destroying the Kansas City Chiefs, no less. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's also this um, what kind of makes them more flexible, too. Like if, if you build the team first, you, then you draft the quarterback um, that you think is going to fit in the system because they're a little bit more ready to play at the NFL level than they were previously you're going to get this quarterback on the cheap. So you can mm-hmm. you could move pieces and parts around, trade for people, sign people that you probably wouldn't be able to if your quarterback cuz I'm I know we mentioned this before and this is already kind of showing up, but look what's what's going to happen with the Chiefs going forward when they have to pay <laughs> Patrick Mahomes yeah. 50 million dollars in a season. Mm-hmm. Like how are you going to be able like if you if he needs a running back or he needs a, or you know the team needs a piece on defense how on earth are you going to be able to bring in a, a, you know there's no way financially in a couple of years like they would be able to make the equivalent of a von miller trade like oh, how yeah. would you afford him right exactly like and i hate to say this but the idea of just like bringing in josh gordons over and over and over again that's not the way to do it either you know cuz mm. you're going to need like like he has Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey Hey, you know, one could easily assume that they might not be able to afford one of those two guys. And then and that's a huge gap to fill, especially with Kelsey, the dude's a freaking monster. And like you can't just, you know, pull some guy in off the street and just pray to God that everything's going to be okay. Like you need to have like stars that are are worthy of the money that you're paying them and everything. And when you set yourself up the way the Chiefs have to experience some kind of financial turmoil or be in some kind of financial situation in the next little bit of time, um, this could really affect like the team. Like, yeah, it's great. You have Patrick Mahomes. He could easily, he could end up being the greatest quarterback ever, but it's not going to matter if he's got no one else around him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I just think this is the era. This is going to be a really interesting era in the NFL moving forward. Um, especially as and I won't get too far into this um, subject for another podcast, probably, but especially since I, in the next five years, we're going to have at least two more teams. So there's going to be two more yeah. opportunities to build a team and then find the quarterback. Yeah. That's another really good point too. Yeah. That's another topic for another conversation, but I do believe that they're going to, we're going to see an expansion for sure. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to baseball here real quickly. Um, General prompt here. Uh, this one's been popping up in the news lately. Obviously, you know, besides the World Series, there's, there's nothing else baseball-wise going on. And now that that's over, um, this is going to kind of probably take center stage in the baseball world for a little bit. Um, what do you think is the most likely outcome for this Guardians lawsuit? Okay, dude. I'm going to say simple answer, and then I'm going to give you everything for that answer. Okay. It's going to end up in a settlement. It's going to end up in a settlement. Mm. Okay. Um, and out of, it's not going to go to trial. Um, I personally feel that the, um, the guardians could probably wrap this up with a simple two to three page motion to dismiss, but I don't think that that's going to happen for some reason. Like I, I could see just a quick settlement to make sure this whole thing just goes away. Um, 
Now, here's my thoughts behind the whole thing. I took a look at the complaints. Like, I actually read through the complaint that was filed by the um, the Cleveland Guardians, the roller derby team. Mm-hmm. And I work in the legal field. I'm not a lawyer, but I see a lot of complaints and I see a lot of legal documents. This is a fucking joke. Like, we're talking, as far as, like, a legal document goes, I'm assuming that the papers that they filed to invalidate the election are probably just as fucking hysterical in terms of like <laughs> legal arguments and documents for starters, the page, the complaints a pretty thick one. Okay. It's over 30 pages. Now you're looking at the first five pages are actually like where they try to have some substance and everything. And then you're looking at 20 fucking pages of photos of beer koozies and t-shirts and side by sides and all this other stuff. It gets really, you get the point just from looking at the pictures. You don't necessarily have to read all the text because a lot of the pictures are just kind of descriptions of how they make the logos right. and positioning on the T-shirt, materials on the T-shirt, all this kind of stuff. So, like, I do a lot of, like, um, trademark and patent work and everything. Okay. And the format of the complaint that they filed is basically similar to every single patent trademark complaint mm. that's filed in the U.S. district courts. Okay. So, with that being said... Um, Let's take away the second half and let's just focus on the first five pages here. The first five pages, they open up with a god-awful argument where they mention how, like, well, you wouldn't name a team after the Cubs or you wouldn't have to name a team after the Yankees or something, which I hate to say this is just the wrong opening argument to make. The... Um, those are world-renowned brands, okay? The Cubs and the Yankees are, like, world-renowned. It is almost like a common-sense law, which some of them, which they do have those in certain states. California is one of them. It's almost like a common-sense thing that if I was going to start up a roller derby team in Chicago, that I would not call them the Chicago Cubs. You know, and also, the Chicago Cubs are going to be filing a lawsuit the absolute second that I try to do anything, a cease and desist. They're going to fire a, file a cease and desist the minute that I even smell the trademark office trying to trademark mm-hmm. the Chicago Cubs roller, roller derby. It's the same way with the Yankees, okay? So that argument is pretty bad. And then they also throw this whole thing in there where they actually say the phrase, like, if somebody would have done a simple Google search – And like, look, guys, of course, somebody performed a simple Google search. Usually when people like include language like that in the in the complaint, they're trying to like, you know, make some statement in kind of like this artsy kind of way. That's almost like a shot at the other side. Well, it is a shot at the other side. But however, like when you're already adding that kind of language into the complaint, it adds a little bit of a sign of desperation, especially because, which is the point that I'm going to make um, to round the whole thing off, is these people have no fucking leg to stand on. Okay, they didn't file any paperwork with the trademark office. They filed a certificate, a certification of their business with the state of Ohio that says the Cleveland Guardians on it. But that is a completely different ball game than filing an application for a patent or a trademark with the United States uh, Trade, Trademark Copyright Office. And they're relying on what they call a common law trademark. And this common law trademark that they feel that they own is so strong that it's going to actually induce brand confusion between the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team. Now, there's a whole lot to get into that with that. But what I'm going to simply say is common law trademarks are not official trademarks. They're not even going to be like recognized as a trademark by the, the trademark office. 
because there's no documentation that's been like filed mm-hmm. there. So while the, like I said before, the guardians baseball team could probably file a three page motion to dismiss and get this whole thing eliminated. However, with these kinds of situations and especially the more media attention that this gets, it could cause one of these like big man versus little man in yeah. terms of business and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, it's going to gain two different kinds of support in the court of public opinion, which one is good. The other one is not good. The first one that is good is just the everyday people who see this as a big corporation shitting all over the little man and something needs to be done about it, which honestly, like I agree with like big corporations should not like shit on the little person here, even though the little person doesn't really have much of a leg to stand on. There is still some favor to garner in the court of public opinion with the group that I'm okay with. The second group that is going to really fucking latch onto this is the idiots or are the idiots who want the name dropped in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think that this lawsuit perpetuates a bullshit, bullshit mentality, but one that they want to keep pumping because it gets a lot of clicks and a lot of attention is the fact that people still haven't gotten over the name change. So this is like, um, this is almost like something that they feel that they can like hang themselves onto, you know, is, Oh my God, it's hope that, you know, Hey, the Indians are going to come back. Like the Mm. the tribe, the the guardians (laughs) baseball team are going to lose this thing. And like, I feel that, um, that while the lawsuit may not have that intention, that's how a certain group of people in the public are going to view the lawsuits. And I just think it's time that we just move forward and get on with this. So if we're talking like what is the best possible outcome for the Cleveland Guardians baseball team here, it is to get on the phone with the people at uh, called Hunton, Andrews and Kurth. And I'll give you a very interesting tidbit about them in a second. Uh, give a whole get a call of their office and say you're going to cut them a check for a hundred thousand dollars, which will cover their, which will cover their legal fees. It'll give the um, the guardians some form of like a retribution because I know this firm's doing it pro bono, so they're probably just trying to recuperate costs. There's no way in hell that I, if the guardians roller derby team went out and hired these guys, then I almost think that they deserve everything that happens to them. <laughs> but if this is like if this is like a pro bono thing, these people they're going to recoup some expenses. The Cleveland Guardian roller derby team will get about 70 grand or so, which I'm sure will more than cover the T-shirts and beer koozies and stickers that they've filled their complaint with. And then we could all move on from there. But like I just this is like one of these like show pieces Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like what as far as like a, um, a legal argument goes. And I'm just over that right now. And we just need to squash this and move forward. I agree with that. What's the tidbit? Oh, the tidbit is um okay. So, so you know, I mentioned the one side of the coin that's going to get all riled up in this. Well, mm-hmm. the firm Hunton Andrews and Kurth were um, operating as Hunton and Hunton and Williams employed this guy named Bill Wareham W E H R U M, who at one point in time was going to be the leader of the EPA, or he was up for a high position in the EPA. 
he's a total freaking oil and gas oh, okay. guy. That he's in sense. their in their pockets all the way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even think he made it to like the final stages of approval. Like whoever in the confirmation process got a hold of this early, and he said that like um, acidity rising in the ocean is uh, let me see your quote only an allegation. Um, and, uh, he was described as delivering for basically his ex clients, um, as far as like what he wanted out of the EPA was to just line or make, make policies that benefit the oil and gas industries. So that's the, um, the tidbit that may, might shine a little bit of a light on some of the, um, just maybe how this firm works. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm glad. It, uh, yeah, I asked this question because I, I knew you would have um, better insight, significantly better insight into this than I have. Um, and I, you, you touched on and you expounded on some points that I just was kind of making an assumption on that there's no way there's any there's no way there's any chance of consumer confusion, um, like and, and like the opening. You know, you wouldn't name a team. You know, the Yankees in New York. Guess what? There is a team called the Staten Island Yankees that plays in New York in the New York Penn League. They're in the borough of Staten Island. So they're right there in the shadow of the New York Yankees. And no one accidentally takes a ferry over to Staten Island thinking that they're going to see the world-famous New York Yankees. Um, right. There's, it, like, the consumer confusion thing, okay, except for I didn't know you existed until you guys, until, like, the name change right. happened. And then right. we heard about you. And I live in your backyard. So mm-hmm. it, this is, it's a ridiculous thing. Um, you, you're right. Like, I like how you put it. It's a, it's a show. It's a showcase for this firm. Um, they want certain media attention for this. However, the the Cleveland Guardians baseball team is in the wrong. Because, you know, like, there are people like, I've, I've, I've read some articles like, what, did they not do a Google search? Well, of course they did a Google search. They did more than that. They talked to this. They talked to these people. And what they thought is that they could just steamroll them, that this was mm-hmm. like a clear case of hubris that they could just get away with it. Um, and they're going to, um, because like, sorry, sorry, people who are against the name change. Guess what? The T-shirts have already been printed. The jerseys have already been printed. The uniforms have already been made. The MLB is not going to unmake them. So right. this train has already left the station and it's going down the tracks um, just, you're right, just $100,000, let's call it a day, and let's never talk about this ever again. Yeah, ex- exactly, dude. And, like, that, they should be aiming for basically any money that they can get because, um, they're lucky to be getting anything out of this. Like, in terms of steamrolling, like, you mentioned a really, really great term there. One of the things about steamrolling is you could do whatever the fuck you want. They don't even have to pay these people. Okay. Like the, the Cleveland guardians roller derby team is technically not entitled to like any money. There's nothing legally that would entitle them to any type of money. You know, mm-hmm. they're nothing whatsoever, not a goddamn thing. So if the Indians are, sorry, if the guardians baseball team, I got to get better at that. It's I know. So, I believe I do yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the guardians baseball team, like if they want to be assholes and like, you know, have a public relations crisis that they have to fix, which I'm sure they'll fix in a week. But still, why have a public relations right. crisis? If you don't have to have one. They could, you know, they could really do some damage to these people. And like when I was saying about the pro bono thing. So if the Cleveland Guardians baseball team like decided that they really wanted to be assholes, 
they could drag this out for a while. Oh, yeah. You know, you're probably you're probably looking at at a minimum if this were to get into any form of litigation, they could file a motion to dismiss uh, tomorrow. Well, actually, okay. So in the Northern District of Ohio, they don't have hearings on motions to dismiss. The judge rules after on the series of documents, like mm. you file a motion, then an opposition, and then a reply. So uh, the reply will be due in two weeks after they filed the motion. So the opposing counsel, um, number one, is not going to be ready in two weeks to oppose the motion. So they're immediately going to ask for a continuance and stuff. And the guardians could, could pull some trickery here where, like, they stay the case to go into arbitration and then just bury the case in arbitration for a couple of years. And while this, you know, may not it doesn't mean anything to anybody except the people, you know, who are the parties here, where what that would mean is the law firm um, is going to inquire a lot of the the, hunt, the Huntsman, Andrews, and Kurth is going to inquire a lot of um, fees, and they're going to inquire a lot of employee time that's right. devoted to this, all this kind of stuff. And they could, they're not going to bleed that firm dry financially, but what they could do is they could cause a lot of man hours to go into a case that goes absolutely nowhere. <laughs> right. And, and, and the then, payoff will be, if, even if they win a payout, it's not going to be anything yeah. worthwhile. Right. Like the minute that I'll, this would be the best way that I could put it. Now, believe me, these numbers are going to be off. But just for our, our discussion's mm -hmm. sake, the, if the Guardians baseball team offers the Guardians roller derby team one hundred thousand dollars, as I said, that they should. That is a pretty comfortable amount. That's actually a good amount of money in Cleveland. It's not like here in L.A. where that's basically 20 grand. <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, so like if they were to offer that money and the Guardians roller derby team says no, that dollar amount is immediately cut in half. You're not getting any more than you'll be lucky to get 50,000 out of this if you're all said and done. So like they're the the best interest here for both parties, especially the roller derby team is to just wrap this up as soon as humanly possible. And like I said, if they if they got 70 grand out of 100 if the firm took 30 out for their own expenses and stuff, you are going to be making a profit because I guarantee you they didn't spend $70,000 on beer koozie shorts and shirts and, <laughs> right. and stuff. Right. So. I, 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 I was going to say, I bet you if you were to audit everything, all their costs, 70000 is probably what they operate with in like three years. Between, yeah. oh, like, God, between yeah. their gas, you know what I mean? Like everything they pay for, mm -hmm. that's probably three years right. worth of, of supporting the team. Yeah, I'd probably say that included in that three years, they'd probably even get some um, – like uh, what is it? Um, that money would even be able to cover like going to a national competition, like really expensive mm -hmm. trips that they have to take. You could probably get two ten thousand dollar trips to another city mm -hmm. out of that money too that you may have already spent. So like that seventy grand that they're going to get, that's going to go a long fucking way. Yep, yep. I take it. Take the money and run. Uh, Gemma, how about uh, how about your blind question here? All right. So the blind question is, I was reading an article on uh, CNBC about the upcoming lockout that could potentially happen. December mm -hmm. 1st is a deadline for them to resolve their collective bargaining agreement. One of the um, in this article, they list out a couple of different things that are up for debate in this collective bargaining agreement. And they say that it's um, additional playoff games. Um, there's dividing new income, manipulation of service time, the, uh, the DH, the universal DH. But what I want to ask you is particularly focusing on the playoff expansion. It's kind of a little bit of a theme for uh, the episode here is do you think that by expanding the playoffs in the MLB that that would be an improvement on the game of baseball? I, you know, I don't really know. I, I, I understand the reasons why they expanded it last year makes sense. You didn't play that many games. 
last year and that you played like just you know over what amounts to just over a third of a season so Mm -hmm. by expanding the playoffs you're giving some teams that maybe didn't find their footing right away a chance to then find their footing um but like over the course of like a full 162 game season we kind of know where these teams are at generally speaking um so like I don't I don't think that really adds anything. You maybe if you wanted to add like I know I, I don't I don't I don't know the specifics of what the league would want in terms of expansion. Um, but maybe if you were to add like a second wild card game, like you know like one more one game playoff, I I would mm-hmm. jive with that just because like those are kind of fun. Like anything can kind of happen in those games. But I don't think we need like another five game series or even a three game series. Um, like, I don't think that makes anything better. It just makes certain teams more money, which right. obviously right. that's what the league always wants. They want more money. Like I get it. They want more TV money, but like, I don't think that makes the sport. I don't think that makes the, this particular, I, I, it just doesn't make it any better. No, I got you, dude. And like my, my thought process here is that, um, I actually kind of like the way that the MLB playoffs are. I like that not a lot of teams get in, and I like that it's really, really short. Mm-hmm. This may be like one of the few times where I actually like agree with um, baseball traditionalists and stuff like that here. And I feel that if they were to add another round of the playoffs and adding additional teams, I don't think that that solves some of the problems that baseball has it's like i you know sometimes like when it it comes to like the nba if they were to do this i almost feel it's just because everybody knows that the regular season fucking sucks and like hey let's just put all the teams in the playoffs and see Mm -hmm. what happens and like i feel that if they were to do the same thing in baseball like the same kind of like thing that i example that i just hypothetical example that i just described that um you're not solving the fact that like you know that um not a lot of people there's not a lot of younger fans like there used to be you're not solving the problem that like there's that there's something wrong just in general with the sport and not being able to attract like large amounts of viewership and like i i I know that the world series numbers are up compared to last year but like last year with the freaking coronavirus and stuff they're playing with like barely anybody in the stands not Mm -hmm. nobody in the fucking stands so last year is like a little bit different and um during on the radio this week, they were talking about this divide in baseball fans where, you know, there's like all these like a lot of older fans and like how there's not like that many younger fans. And like, I feel that if they were to just like open up another round of the playoffs, you're like artificially creating interest because you're not fixing the problem with the sport. You're just like, OK, more teams are going to be in the playoffs. And hey, the playoffs are when sports are the most interesting. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're going to do to try to, like, make the sport more interesting. But you're not addressing some of the issues that would make the sport more interesting, like having a universal DH in the uh, in both um, the American yeah. and National League. Or even even stuff like the the pitch clock, or even like the, uh, the 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 runner starting off at second and extra innings and stuff like some of these cool things that like I know they haven't done the, the pitch clock, but like the, the runner on second, I thought that was actually kind of cool. It added like a new element of strategy to the game, but we're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. So like the so like hey like yeah, I'd rather like I'd rather start with nobody on base. So this way, you know, we end up playing a game that's 19 hours and eight innings long. It's totally cool. You know, why be in a position to end the game early? Right, right. Yeah. By the way, the pitch clock is going to come soon. Um, okay. if not next year, I would I would assume the year after. Um, but yeah, it, it's <clears throat> like here's here's kind of what I take what I take away about like expanding the playoffs. How, 
how, if if the Yankees played ninety nine games against the Red Sox, um, instead of like the you know, instead of the wild card playoff, there's no way the Yankees win fifty games, because right. the Yankees were not a good enough team to mm-hmm. to beat the Red Sox. Could they? I mean, sure, you play enough games, they're going to win some of them, but over if they give them three games, five games, seven games, that Yankees team that swung and missed at everything that only tried to hit home runs, that didn't run bases, and only had one you know, one legitimate starting pitcher, that team isn't going to suddenly find it over the course of seven right. games or with another series. Like, they're just not going to because they're not good enough. So if we begin expanding out, you know, adding another round to the playoffs, you're going to get... Um, you're going to get teams like that. You're going to get teams, second-tier teams. You, you know, like, what if the Indians had, you know... What if, like, you were to take the top two teams um, like they did last year? Um, out of, you know, and, and that was, like, how, like, the first round was... Or that's how the playoffs were structured now. Do you think that the Indians would have done anything in the playoffs this year? I mean, I was impressed with, like, the, the fact that they didn't just totally collapse given all their injuries and everything else. I mean, like, they actually played really well, all things considered. But... Mm-hmm. That team in the playoffs loses that first round 2-0 or 3-0. Like, they don't win a game. Yeah, exactly. You're That team's still going to lose. You're just opening up a market for more TV dollars and everything like that. Like, that's if you like using your Yankees example, if the Yankees and, you know, not beating the Red Sox and then all of a sudden finding, them way, finding their way to playing them in a series, all you're doing is you're just opening up a uh, 10 or 20 million person TV market to mm-hmm. uh, another series of baseball. It's all about t- TV dollars and not necessarily about, um, you know, addressing some of the issues w- with the game, which like, you know, I got to tell you, like <laughs> there are some times when like I was watching like, you know, some of the Dodgers playoffs and stuff like that, which, you know, there were some really like cool high moments of intensity and stuff that the Dodgers completely fucked up because they weren't able to drive in any runs. But um like those were those were like cool to see and you know i really felt like you know get wrapped up in the game but that kind of stuff like doesn't necessarily happen when you're 40 games into a 160 game season you just don't have the same kind of investment as you as you do during the playoffs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you i totally agree with you um it's the it's the one sport i think even with the inclusion of the wild card game it's the one sport i feel like it's the playoffs are kind of perfect the way they are like there's just no reason to screw around with it yeah, like I thought that the inclusion of the wild card game was just kind of like a cool, nice, like almost like a compromise that they came up with instead of adding another round to the playoffs. And I, I actually, I liked it. From the, the Indians went to the very, the Guardians went to the very, very. They're first, the Indians then, uh, so it's fine. Okay, okay. Um, they went to the, you know the very, very first game, and I've been a fan of this ever since. I think it's another cool. I think it's a cool little, mm-hmm. almost kind of compromise for instead of adding a whole other round. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. All right, Chama, since uh, you kind of brought it up here, um, the death of the pitcher uh, hitting is on the horizon. I, I think that's almost like a certainty next year. Uh, so are you going to miss watching uh, players bat 129 points below the league average? Are you going to miss that at all? Oh, absolutely not, dude. Like, I, I tell you, we went to the game, we went to the Dodgers game. They played the, they played the Rangers. This was when Trevor Bauer was still on the team. And it just looks wrong, him in the batter's box, man. Like, it's just, like, I think I even saw playoff games where, like, Max Serger was bunting every single, like, um, or trying to bunt every single pitch that got thrown at him. And it's just like, no, we're done. We're done with this. Like, have somebody who can, I'd rather see, like, the pool holes come off the bench and be the DH 
than having to watch the pitcher do it. And like, I'll tell you, like part of me when I was younger, I thought that this was kind of cool, you know, but then I got older and I realized that like pitchers don't hit and not everybody is Brendan Fraser's character. And, um, ugh, the one, the, the awesome, the movie with Albert Brooks is escaping me right now. Steve's not Steve. No one's ever, not everybody is Steve Nebraska where they go on and hit home runs every single time. Uh, the, the rookie, and, uh, just, I think it's just called the rookie. The, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, um, so not everybody is like that. And, um, it's just a real downer on the game, dude. Like when, um, the scout, like this, sorry, the, the Rangers, scout. the scout, the scout, yeah. yeah the, um, the, the game that we went to when Trevor Bauer was batting, this was, I mean, it just looked bad. Like he didn't even look like he wanted to be there. You know, like I at least mm-hmm. want somebody in the batter's box that looks like they want to be there. I mean, like, you know, like I, I think back to like CC Sabathia when he was with the Indians popping off some home runs and stuff. Like he was a good hitting pitcher. Um, especially for an American League pitcher. But, like, I'm sure his career average is well below 200. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, those, yeah. like, I remember those moments because they stand out because otherwise he's just making outs. Um, so, I, I'm so with you on this one. Like, the idea that, and by the way, we don't even have to use Steve Nebraska anymore as the reference because we have a living, breathing one playing baseball for the Angels. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, but, like, okay, so, sure, sure. People are going to say, like, well, what about Shohei Otani? He's an alien. There is no other Shohei Otani. There's never going to be another one, more than likely. Or it's going to be another 100 right. years before the next one shows up. So if you feel that strongly that your pitchers are that good, then there's nothing There's nothing stopping you from letting them hit. But yeah. no team is doing that. Even teams, you know, even as uh, as good as a hitter as Madison Bumgarner and Clayton Kershaw are, the, the, the Dodgers and the Giants, well, I think uh, Bumgarner plays for the Diamondbacks, but when he played for the Giants at the time, they weren't like, like, all right, well, you're going to start in left field today so we can get your bat in the lineup. Like, because they suck. Like, they're they're good for what they're, for what they, you know, for what they are, they're okay. But, like, mm-hmm. every year since the introduction of the DH, every year, pitcher batting average has gone down in the National League. Every single year, with, like, a couple exceptions. And a big part of that now, and now, the out rate that they make on bunts has skyrocketed. So, like, they're not even getting bunts down that, like, you know, that that are... And I don't mean just, like, outrates in general, but I mean, like, they're not even, like, advancing players. You know, they're not even advancing people in front of them um, when, they, when they go to bunt. And a big part of this is pitchers are throwing a lot harder and are throwing with a lot more movement than they ever did before, especially compared to, like, the 1970s and 80s. It is harder to bunt than it's ever been before. And so we're going to send guys up there that take batting practice once a week and ask them to bunt a ball that is spinning harder and faster than it's ever spun before. Fucking stupid. Like it's fucking stupid. Get, get the bats out of their hands and let them focus on pitching. Yeah. And you're not even guaranteed that any of those bunts are going to be effective either. You know what I'm saying? For all you know, the guy's just putting the ground on the ball two feet in front of the catcher and stuff. So like they're going in there and they're not even doing like the most effective. um, They're not even taking the opportunity to like, actually hit the ball to, to, to be the most effective. So if you're not even going to put them in the position where they, you know, can be doing the absolute best then why even have them there at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, and there are like, uh, like I know the Cincinnati Reds have a relief pitcher, Michael Lorenzen, who's like a good hitting pitcher and he he'll pinch hit sometimes um, with the idea that he's going to go in and pitch after he pinch hits. There's nothing. If the Cincinnati Reds feel that strongly, there's nothing preventing them from pinch hitting him anyway if they feel like mm-hmm. his bat would be a, would be a bonus. But if it's not, then why bother? Right. Yeah, exactly. Just have somebody else do it and stuff. Right. It's a way better 
way better move for the game. Yeah. Anyway, and and there's and there's like there are also like there's some other reasons too here, Chama. Like competitive balance. The National League is at a complete disadvantage when they play American League teams, especially in American League parks, because like you know everyone you know I know people say like well they get a DH too, but like National League teams don't carry a player that is a DH. There is no right. David Ortiz in the National League. There's no, you know what I mean? Like, those players just don't exist in the National League because there's no place for them mm-hmm. to play. So they're usually going to, like, you know, they're going to give someone a day off or, like, their fourth outfielder or one of their top bench players is going to DH. Um, that's basically what it is. So, like, we're going to restore some competitive balance. There's going to be more runs being scored in the National League. And I think this is, really, this is the most important. Um, not, I mean, not the most important, but I think this is one of the best benefits to it. Those National League teams will be able to keep their aging stars in the organization. Like, Albert Pujols should have never left St. Louis. But, like, what were they going to do with him when he's 40? You know what I mean? Like, right. look what he does on the, on the, right. on the Dodgers now. He, he basically plays in the field once a week and pinch hits three times a week. That's all he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you could have his um his position on the field, like he was playing first base and stuff like that. He could – it could be played by somebody who's in, like, a maybe better shape, somebody who's younger, and he could just go on and be the DH and show up and mm-hmm. hit home runs and be, be the big bat and stuff like that. And um, by having that – one specific player where that's all they could focus on just the way the pitchers will now all be focusing on pitching. It could really do something to um, bring some balance to both, both individual leagues, the American and national league, but it could also just bring a whole new cool offensive element to the national league that they never had before and stuff. And it could end up being a whole new way to strategize um, playing games for national league teams. Mm-hmm. If you're like right now, think about it. If you're the Cincinnati Reds, don't you want to keep Joey Votto until he's like 40? Oh yeah. I mean like seriously, like that there's a reason why big poppy was able to play effectively at age 40 because the last like five, six years of his career, he barely played in the field. All he had to worry about was keeping his bat ready and keeping his body healthy to hit. That's all he had to do. And so when, you, when you're able to do that with a player, you can keep them relevant longer. And like I said, it would just I, I'm a big sucker for when players finish their careers with the teams they started. I think it's good. It's good for sports in general. It's good for that sport. And it's obviously good for the organization to have someone who's there for 15 seasons or whatever. Um, yes. And that'll just be able to happen significantly more often now in the sport of baseball. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big fan of that stuff too and everything. And like with baseball seems like one of those sports where, um, it just fits a little more, you know, like it's just like growing up and stuff like that. Like just having these people that knowing about these people and stuff like that, who had been on the Yankees forever that, you know, like all from the, the past and everything. I just think that it's a really cool element for all sports, but for some reason in baseball, I think it means just like a little bit more, you know, to be a kid and see somebody and then they're still with you, like, you know, way into when you're high school, maybe even your twenties or something. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I would agree with that. It's, it would just, it would look really strange if Derek Jeter was wearing a different uniform his last couple yeah. of years, but, but <laughs> right. Hey, the Yankees have a DH, so they are able to DH him a little bit more frequently. So he didn't have to play the field all the time. 